Why don't you sing with me? Want to sing with me? <clears throat> On the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me twelve drummers drumming, eleven pipers piping, ten lords a leaping, nine ladies dancing, eight maids a milking, seven swans a swimming, six geese a laying, five golden rings. Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. See, we had the pictures. That's the only way we could have sung it together. But anyway, as Pastor Brandon was saying, uh, Christmas really is a 12-day celebration, and uh, the, the 12 days of Christmas ended yesterday. So I hope you were able to celebrate for 12 days from December 25th all the way to January the 5th. Uh, it's one of my pet peeves in our American culture that Christmas ends on December 25th. Even the Christian radio stations, Christmas music every day from Halloween to December 25th, and then nothing on the 26th. And uh, really, uh, for Christians, for centuries have celebrated Christmas for 12 days for two good reasons. One, it's worth celebrating more than one day, the birth of our Savior. And the other reason is a very good uh, theological one. We want to always tell the Christmas story, and when we do so, we often do try to condense it so we can tell it all at once. And so we bring the shepherds to the stable, we bring the wise men to the stable, but the wise men did not come to the stable. They came months later and came to a house, and they worshipped a toddler, not a baby Jesus. And so the church, for that reason, has celebrated the coming of the wise men on this day, January the 6th, which is Epiphany. And so that's where we are today, but we are not going to talk about the wise men today. Uh, you know their story, and they are part of the Christmas story, but today we are here at the Lord's table. So, as I said earlier, the Lord's table is a place to prepare for, to be invited to, and enjoy the Lord. Now, this is a new year, the first Sunday of the new year. So it is 2019, and that's why we say Happy New Year to each other. We have a new year. We changed the... the last number of the year, and we hope and pray for an even more blessed and better year than we had the previous one in 2018. I even have heard some people who have gone through difficult things. I'm glad 2018 is over. I'm ready for a new year, a new start. And we do have that anticipation. We have that excitement that this year can be different, and we pray this year will be different. Because we've never had a perfect year, even if you've had a good year or a great year, it wasn't perfect. And so we do naturally love things that are new. And I know I've shared this with you, but it is one of my favorite things to think about how much we as humans enjoy new things. Don't you enjoy a new car? Uh, no one's driven in it. The smell is awesome. It has... Less than 10 miles, if you're lucky to find one that new. I mean, isn't, I mean you get so excited about it. It doesn't matter, uh, really, what the car is. If it's new, you get excited about it. What about new clothes, a new shirt? Maybe you got some for Christmas. I did, and I love wearing things that are new. They're not worn out. They don't have stains on them. They're not wrinkled. You know, they're, and it just feels good. Or a new home. Again, it has a smell, doesn't it? 
you know that some, no one's even used the toilet or the shower, so you're excited about that. You know, it's all new to you, and it's brand new. When you get that new phone, it, it is almost like getting a new car. Uh, and you look at it, and it has all the new features and the new battery, and it's all new, and you wish you could have a new one every week. And even a, a new Bible. Uh, you know, you, you take a new Bible, and you smell the leather, you look at the pages and you see how uh, nicely uh, printed they are and how everything's straight and new. And you get excited that you have something new. I, I hope you realize the Bible is all about things that are new. Uh, look at these verses. Revelation 21.1. Uh, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea no longer existed. A new heaven. A new earth. In fact, in that same chapter, Jesus just basically says, look, I'm making everything new. Okay, so it's not just a new heaven and a new earth. Everything about them is new. Because God wants to transform and make the old and the worn out, the sinful, the defiled. He wants to make it new. And that's what he will do in the future. But there's more verses about new. Hallelujah, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Nine times in the Bible we are told to sing a new song. I think sometimes we think a new song only means a song we've never sung before. Uh, I know a song with new words or a song with a new melody or a song that's brand new to the world. But it doesn't have to be that. It's, it's a new song when it has new meaning to us. And it's a new song when it is uh, a response to something God has done in our lives that's new. A, a, a new miracle he's done. A new change in our life he has done. A new truth he has taught us. When something new comes in our life, we want to respond in song. And so we sing a new song. Even if it's one that's been around for centuries. It can be a new song. A new heaven, a new earth, new everything, a new song. How about a new command, Jesus says to his disciples on that night that he was going to be betrayed. The new command is love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Of course, Jesus wasn't saying God had never said love people. <laughs> The Old Testament tells us to love, but it was a, a, a new command to the disciples in this, that they were to love as Jesus had loved them. And especially as he was going to show his love to them at the cross. A new way to love. To love sacrificially. To love unconditionally. That is the new command. What about this? A new covenant. God says in Jeremiah 31, 31, Look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. God had made a contract, a promise, a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. You know it. It was the old covenant. A list of rules and commands that the people were to obey. A list of sacrifices they were to offer. 
and a promise by God, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And for centuries, the Jews had lived under that covenant, and they had failed miserably. And so they had more times of cursing than they had times of blessing. More times of enemies oppressing them. More times in exile. More times without peace. More times with violence. More time with society that wasn't working. And they had times when it was. Yes, they had times and eras of blessing. But it seemed that they were outshadowed by disobedience. And so God said, it's time for something new. This isn't working out. And why it wasn't working out was the people did not have God permanently living in them. It's hard to do what's right when all you have to rely on is yourself. God said, I'm making a new covenant. My law is not going to be written on stone tablets. It's going to be written on your heart. And in fact, when... Jesus was at that last supper when he shared it with his disciples hours before he was tried and hours before he went to the cross. He mentioned this new covenant. When he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant. Established by my blood, it is shed for you. At that moment, Jesus was saying The new is coming. There's going to be a change. And what is that change and how is it coming? That's what he's also said in a different account. In Matthew, he says, For this is my blood that established the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus was saying, The new is here. The new has come. And this is what the new is. It's your sins forgiven. As I die on the cross and as I shed my blood. He said this is the new covenant. The new beginning. Where now God the Holy Spirit will live within us. The temple in the Old Testament was a building. The temple now is our bodies. The temple now is we believers gathered together. For God is with us. This is what is new. This is what the Lord has brought. In his death. In his shedding of his blood. But I want you to think about this. What happens with everything we know of that is new? It gets old again, doesn't it? I also want you to think about this before we come to the table. Because God is making everything new, the first thing I want you to hear this morning is this is an invitation to see Jesus. An invitation to meet Jesus. Because My favorite new creation verse is this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. So the first thing I want you to hear this morning is that you can have a new life, that you can be a new creation, that you can 
be part of this new way of relating to God by having faith in Jesus, by believing that he died on the cross for your sin, by accepting the forgiveness of sin that he gives and accepting the gift of eternal life that he offers to all who believe in him. This is the first invitation, the first step of meeting Jesus. And so anytime we come to the Lord's table, we need to hear this invitation to come to Jesus. He has made the way through the shedding of his blood and the new covenant. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, do so right now before you come to the table. The table has no meaning if you have never done that. And in a moment when we have some time of silent reflection, you can pray. You can do so right now and talk to God and pray. To admit to God that you're a sinner. To uh, tell God that you believe he died for you and rose again. To tell him that you are putting your faith in him and him alone. And that you are asking for your sins to be forgiven. And you're accepting his gift of invitation of eternal life. Telling God that and meaning it with your heart means you are a new creation. The old life is gone. The old life of being tied to sin and under the power of Satan and the old life of sins unforgiven and the old life of being separated from God is gone. And a new life begins. A new life of being reconciled to God. A new life of being in the family of God. A new life of your sins being forgiven. A new life of having hope of an eternity with Him. A new life of having the Spirit of God in you. A new life living out your life in righteousness for God. And being a slave to Him and no longer a slave to sin. That is what is new in our lives. But I kind of got a little ahead of myself. And asked you the question, what happens to everything new? It gets old. What happens to a new car? <laughs> it gets old. Maybe this looks more like your car than that new sports car we saw earlier. It wears out. It gets old. What happens to a new shirt? It gets worn out. It gets old. What happens to a new house? It can become a nightmare of a house. A horror of a house. What happens to a new phone? It can get broken, smashed. What happens when you have a brand new Bible? Uh, well, for many Christians, it stays a brand new Bible. It doesn't go anywhere. I mean, they, unfortunately, sometimes those, they're still new years later. But your new Bible should look more like this after years of use. And just a side note, I was trying to find out what passage of Scripture this was turned to. And I know even as you look at it, it's difficult to see. And when I was looking at it, I could only see one part of the whole two pages. And I know this was a parent's Bible. This was a mom or a dad. Because all the yellow marks and all the green marks and all the circles, uh, there was one verse highlighted in red. Ephesians 6, 1, at the bottom of the first page, at the bottom of the column, children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
That's what's highlighted there in red at the bottom of the page. So that's why I know that was not a child uh, who did that or a teenager or it was a parent. But anyway, that's how the Bible should look after years of using it. And a relationship with God can become old. But I want you to hear me and, be, and understand. I'm not saying our relationship with God becomes old and that we go back to our former way of life and we become under the slavery of sin and Satan again. Or it doesn't become old because we're back under the guilt of our sin. Or it doesn't become old because the Holy Spirit leaves us and we're back in the bondage that we were. It doesn't become old and that God leaves us. It doesn't become old in that way. I think it can become old in the way maybe, ladies, you can understand with your husbands. Now, this, obviously this couch is not new, and maybe some wives would say this is old, while husbands would say it's comfortable. Right? I mean, even that old shirt can become comfortable. Even though it's tattered and torn, you're comfortable with it. You like it, how it feels. And so what can happen in our Christian lives is that they can become old and in a sense we become comfortable and comfortable in the wrong way. We become comfortable with sin that has just become a habit in our lives, become part of who we are. We become comfortable with the way we live our Christian life. Maybe we read our Bible the same way every time. We sit in the same pew every Sunday. We, we worship God the same way every time. Uh, we do the same service for God all the time. We sing the same songs. Uh, we relate to God in the same way. That's how our life can become old. And especially when we come to the Lord's table, what we need to reflect on is how we can become so comfortable with a life that is tainted with sin or relationship with God that's not as close as it should be. We become comfortable, complacent, and we say something like this, I'm, I'm close enough to God. Uh, I've got enough sin out of my life. This rest of it that's there, I'll just hang on to. Uh, I've done enough for God. I've lived well enough for God. I'm just comfortable where I am. So before we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want you to reflect. We use the word reflect when we think about light reflecting off of mirrors. And we use it in a metaphorical way when we think about looking at ourselves and the Bible even uses it in that way when James compares us reading the Word of God to looking into a mirror. I find it kind of interesting that God made us in this way. I can see my hands and the front of my body, but I can never see my face. It's impossible. I can only see my face in a reflection. I can only see it in a photograph. Or in a video. I can't see it directly. Have you ever thought about that? I can see your faces. You can see mine. And I imagine if we really saw what each other saw, we would be surprised. <laughs> because we don't see it directly. 
And that's why I think sometimes you look in a mirror or you look at a photograph and you say, is that really me? You know, you're not really certain that's how you look. In the word of God, but when you look in a mirror, this is what happens. You do see what needs to be changed. That's James's point. You wake up in the morning, you look in a mirror, and if you're a man, you see the stubble. You know, you see the, uh, <clears throat> I guess you don't see the bad breath. If you see the bad breath, it's really bad because then there's just uh, stuff coming out or whatever. But maybe you see the, the food in the teeth from last night when you've got to brush your teeth. You see the hair that's out of place. If you're ladies, maybe you see where you need the makeup and you see where there's more wrinkles. I don't know. I mean, I, no, and I look in the mirror, I just say, my goodness, I've got to do something. I can't go out to the world looking like this. And that's what James is saying. When you look at the Bible, you're supposed to say, oh, my goodness. Look at what God is telling me to be. Look at what God is telling me to do. And I don't measure up. That's not what I'm doing. And James warns us not to say, oh, wow, that's awful. And then just go on. He says it's like looking in a mirror and seeing the wrinkles and the hair and the stubble and saying, eh, don't worry about it. I'm just going to go out into the world like this. I know I've shared this with you before, and I still haven't done it. I'm waiting for the Sunday I have enough courage to do that as a perfect illustration of what James is talking about, to wake up in the morning and come directly here, and you will see me. That would be a perfect illustration, wouldn't it, of what I'm talking about. I still haven't had the guts to do that. But that's what James is saying. And so what I'm telling you this morning is this. We're going to have a time so that you are ready to come to the Lord's table. And I want you to ask God to be honest with you. Think of the word of God as he has spoken it to you. Where are you comfortable? Where are you not measuring up? What do you need to change? Specifically, what sin do you need to confess this morning? So that when you come to the table, there's no sin as a hindrance or a barrier between you and God. Your heart is clean. Your hands are clean. In a sense, you've taken a shower, you've gotten ready, you shaved, you put the makeup on, you're ready to be at the table, you're ready to meet the Lord. So we're going to have a time of silent reflection. Jan is going to play so there's not any awkward silence, but in this time, pray, talk to God, prepare for the Lord's table. the Lord's table is also a time to remember. That's what Jesus says, to do this in remembrance of me. And so the last thing I want to do before we do come to the table is for me to read to you from the Gospel of John the account of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection so that we can remember what he has done for us. We will hear it in words and then we'll partake of it in symbols. The bread representing his body and the cup, his blood. So please listen as I read. <clears throat> Therefore they took Jesus away. Carrying his own cross, he went out to what is called the skull place, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign lettered and put on the cross. The inscription was, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. 
Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see who gets it. This they did to fulfill the scripture that says, They divided my clothes among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and alloys. aloes. Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the aromatic spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation and since the tomb was nearby. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to him, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw and believed. For they still did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. But certainly by the end of the day, they knew that Jesus is alive. Let's come to the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, I pray your blessing now as we come to your table. I pray, Lord, that we are ready to meet you. I pray, Lord, that as we partake, that, Lord, we would remember, but more than remember, Lord, we would be close to you, thankful and excited for what you have done, and ready to live for you, Jesus, the crucified one and risen Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.